You alright? My name's Paul, I've got autism, and I make random videos based on my version of autism and the way my head works, and I stick the videos on the internet in case you fancy giving them a watch. And I hope you're doing alright. I always do. Uh, not too much to catch you up on waffle-wise this week. Um, I just feel a bit run down, to be honest. Um, you know, and I was going to talk to you about feeling run down. And then I thought, you know what, why don't I just talk to you about health anxieties? Because I've always said, you know, I've got health anxieties. These, that is not a mystery to me. I know I have. Um, and I just thought it would make sense to talk about them, sort of give my anxieties a voice, you know. So I've got no script. I've got, you know, nothing to really go off apart from I just want to talk about them because I do believe that being autistic also plays a big part in my health anxieties. Um, you know, like for a, a simple example, phone calls you know, just getting through to the doctors, I can't do phone calls because of my autism. So, you know, these, 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 there is tie-ins to having a health anxieties and autism. And I just want to, I just want to try and unpick it and figure it out while I go through this, if you don't mind. Um, because, you know, as you know, I'm not here for, you know, the fun, happy, shiny and friendly. I'm here for the trying to figure myself out along the way too. Because that's all I ever want to do is try and figure out why I am the way I am. Um, so I apologize. It's probably not going to be fun or silly or anything like that. But uh, you know, every now and again, I just need to have a have a good think because, well, let's just start. Um, you might notice I've got a big spot next to the side of my nose. It's not a second nose trying to grow. It's actually a spot, but it is as big. Um, and that's because I'm feeling run down. You know, I actually at the minute, touch wood, <clears throat> there we go. Not, I don't know what that ever does, but, you know, I don't think I've got anything wrong, but I just feel run down. So like a couple of weeks ago, like I, I honestly felt like I'd been to the gym and then on the way home from the gym, decided to scale Mount Everest and then army crawl home. You know, I, I just felt so sore. I really did. Like I felt like I had muscles aching in places that I didn't even know I had places. I was just so achy and I don't sleep well, but I was managing. I was exhausted in the day. I was going to bed. I was falling asleep straight away and I was practically sleeping all the way through to the next morning. That doesn't happen ever, but it did like a couple of weeks ago. I just was aching and I was sleeping really well, but I was awake and then I was exhausted, you know, all day. And I'm thinking, oh no, what's going on? I haven't got it now. I'm back to not sleeping and I'm not aching. But it's weird. And when something kicks in, it just has my mind racing like, oh no, what's wrong? You know, uh, always trying to figure out what's wrong with me. And you know, now I feel a little bit run down. My throat's a bit sore and I've got these spots appearing and I don't know. I don't know what's going on. Um, but it doesn't, it's no good for you when you've got health anxieties and weird things just happen, you know. Um, and one of the things I've learned from doing this channel and talking with people who who live in America, for example, 
you know the the speed i know i know there's a thing where people mock every now and again and it's like you know yeah but you've got to pay for your healthcare over in america and you know ours comes out of our tax so we have free healthcare it's like whoa the conversation that i've been having with american people it's much better to pay for it <laughs> you know like i can't get appointments uh, but i'll try and remember that and try and get into that as i go through you know but um you know, I think it's important for me to realize where my health anxieties came from. And I genuinely believe they're tied into when my best friend passed away when he was 32. You know, he died of an aggressive illness, which he shouldn't have had. And, you know, it was it was very difficult when, you know, you get that that, that news that, um, you know, that, it, that, that there's nothing more they can do. You know, and when that's someone you care about so deeply and, you know, you've got a great connection with them and they're your best friend for a reason, you know, it's it's very hard. I, I think I've told you before, but I was waking up in the middle of the night for the bathroom and I'd be sort of coming round while I was in the bathroom and then the realisation had hit me like a ton of bricks that, you know, he's he's not going to be here for much longer. And then I'd think, well, oh no, what if he's got up for the bathroom and he comes around and he has the realization that he's not going to be here for much longer too. And then I wouldn't sleep for the rest of the night because that would just eat me up alive thinking of it. And it was horrible. And, you know, so there, so there was a lot of things involved there with, you know, him being my best friend and, you know, him going through an illness that people shouldn't have at 32 years old. and. You know, so during the time when he was given bad news that it wasn't something that could be treated anymore, up to the day he passed away, I got ill. You know, like I, I, I'd i done a diet and I'd lost, like I was sitting at around 17 and a half stone and then I got to about 15 stone, I don't know, four or five or something. And then through the stress of, you know, when I was eating normally, the, the stress of the, like, the last couple of weeks, I'd, I'd lost another stone. And I had illness. I had this pain in, me, in my side and it was so painful. And, you know, I was determined, like, you know, when he passes, there is absolutely nothing on the face of this earth that will stop me showing my respect and saying goodbye you know, to attend the funeral. And I'd been asked as one of the people to carry his coffin. And, you know, I didn't take that, you know, request with a pinch of salt, you know, that mattered to me. And that was the birth of my health anxieties because then I had this pain in my side. And, you know, it didn't subside. It didn't go. So it was like, oh, okay, well, what sort of pain doesn't go that's in your side? And then, you know, like Google is not the answer. Google is the worst thing to exist when you have health anxieties because every time I get ill, I always go on Google, I try and match up the symptoms, and I should have died about 200 times by now. You know, it's just a horrible place because it goes right for the jugular where there might be a lot of other reasons for what's wrong. And, you know, I was typing in the issues for here and I was reading what it potentially could be. and that made me panic and that had me scared and you know that that went on for two or three years with this pain in my side 
and I had ultrasounds, I had MRIs, you know, and this is what people need to understand is health anxieties are real. They are so real because I'm petrified of needles, yet I had a needle in my arm so they could put the dye through my system so it would go through the areas it needed to, you know, and at one point they weren't going to be able to do it because I was that nervous. My veins had retracted and they could not get the needle in a vein. And I was like, no, no, you, you, you have to keep trying. I don't care how painful this is going to get. I don't care which arm. I don't care where on my body, but I can't walk away and come back and do this again. You know, and I even went, I've mentioned it before, but I went and I had a, a camera inserted in a place men or anyone really should have, should, you know, men have got something, you know, a camera between my legs to go up and look into my stomach. Now, if health anxieties were just a silly little thing, I would never have done that. The recovery from that was probably one of the worst pains I have ever felt on earth. You know, I had to be knocked out for that because there was no way I could be awake and know something was doing that. Mm -mm, no chance. And, uh, you know, that went on for years, two or three years that went on for. My life was on hold, you know. I couldn't focus on anything else. I was just so in the zone of something is wrong and the longer this goes on, the less chance I've got of it being treatable. And it ended up being nothing explainable. Two or three years of debilitating pain in my side, feeling winded, feeling like I had a stitch, feeling like someone had punched me in my ribs. Every time I tried to bend down, it would you know, make you recoil because mm, you just get this sharp pain that would go through. And it was never pain. It was always discomfort. It was just discomfort all the time. And I couldn't, I didn't know what it was, but the doctors couldn't figure out what it was. And, you know, my favorite doctor, he um, basically after the MRI said, right, I can't tell you what it is, but I can tell you what it isn't. And it's none of the things you're fearful of. It's not a cancer. It's not a tumor. It's not a, and he went through all the list of basically fatal things that I was petrified of. Um, and that helped. You know, the pain eventually subsided, which to me, you know, and again, Dr. Google, I, I, was, I was convinced it was fibromyalgia, you know, because when, I'd, when I was trying to find the answer for what this pain could be and what it could be related to, there was this thing there and I would go down everything it could be. I would copy and paste it and I would want to see all the symptoms and where is it, where, where is it from? Is it something I've done? and you know, and I, I read about fibromyalgia and I read that it can be brought on by the death of a loved one. And of course, I loved my best friend, you know, and he was my best friend. We would see each other every Saturday selflessly for no reason whatsoever. No one understood why we got together just to walk and talk because we got nothing out of it apart from that, you know. And I loved the fact that nobody understood that because it shows how selfish everybody else was, you know. You had to be getting something out of it rather than just spending time with your friend. You know, so I, I read that and I was thinking, well, that's got to be it. I've had the MRIs, I've had the ultrasounds, I've had the camera put up where you shouldn't. No one can find anything whatsoever, but I have a pain that is unexplainable that is causing me a lot of problem. But I, I came away with no answer. 
So I had my own version of an answer, which was fibromyalgia, but my doctors would not listen to that as a, as a, as a potential consideration, which bothers me because if it is that, I get recurring random pains throughout my body, which are not explainable. I, I had this tiredness, I've told you, a couple of weeks ago, and these muscle aches, and now they're gone. Sometimes they can last for a long time, sometimes they go. But I haven't done anything to cause them, but I end up with these pains and these issues. And uh, my doctors won't entertain fibromyalgia as a, as a reason, and they don't give me reasons because I'm at, the, I'm at their mercy, you know? It's not good. You know, I, I, even, I even had shakes, and I still shake now, but they're not as bad as they were, where they were quite uncontrollable. And I got put under a neurologist. I went for a head scan. And then they just sort of disappeared and then phoned me about two years later and just said, you've got an appointment today. Where are you? Well, it would have been great to know I had an appointment, mate, you know? And then it was like, all right, I'll get someone to be in touch. And that was a year ago. <laughs> okay, so there's still no answer for that. I just keep ending up in situations with no answer which isn't good, again, because of Dr. Google telling me I'm going to die tomorrow, you know? You know and for me, because of the health anxieties, it is always the worst case scenario. Like, you know, th this chair I've got, I know you're not allowed to slag brands off, but if you want to know a gaming chair you do not buy, which has got rave reviews, email me, I'll tell you. It is terrible i've had nothing but issues with this chair i get electric shocks off it every time i stand up and it caused a problem with with my backside like with me being seated on it it caused a lot of pain in certain areas that are connected down there and again i was convinced the pain was connected to something else and in the end i sat on a cushion for a while and the pain started getting a bit better you know like i've got this this blanket behind me today and this blanket was actually gifted to me by someone who watches my channel and I'm super grateful for it because you know it's it's a handmade blanket and uh you know and and now I've got it behind me because I've got a pain in my back which I'm convinced is linked to something else yet again you know and this uh blanket is taking some of the pain away um but it's still there you know it's just but when when I was looking for the issues from being seated, it was telling me issues with my, again, lower area. And I'm putting two and two together and getting five and going, yeah, that's right. That's correct. Yeah, I feel that. You know, I would line up seven out of 10 of the symptoms and go, well, that's got to be it then. And it turned out it was none of those things. Honestly, it is not a good place to be in my head when I have something wrong, you know, since my best friend passed away, I, I, I probably have maybe at best had half a year where I haven't thought about my health because every time something happens, I just always assume the worst, you know, and one of the problems I think is the fact that it's so hard in England to get a doctor's appointment. So that worries you too, you know, because you know, the state of the NHS, and I want to say this right now, the people who do their day jobs will always have my respect. When it was COVID, 
and people were outside clapping for the NHS at 8pm on a Thursday, whenever it was. I wasn't because I was thinking, well, what on earth is that going to do? You know, these people who are doing their day jobs, they want pay that is acceptable. They want additional workers so they've, and they want better conditions. So give it to them. I'm not going to go and clap outside because that's just ridiculous. You know, and to this day, I still feel the same. The striking, you know, the junior doctors are striking saying we want fair pay. Yeah, give them the money. If they feel compensated, they're going to do a better job. They're going to care more. They're going to be more invested in you because they're not so worried about themselves and how they're going to survive. But the NHS is in such a state that, you know, there's no prevention. It's all about, oh, no, something has happened now. So let's see how we're going to treat it. You know, and I don't like that, you know, and when I try and get an appointment, like with my knee, you know, my, I've been going on about my knee forever because me and uh, George, my dog, were playing in the garden a year ago. I hurt my knee. I didn't realize at the time I came in, watched some TV, tried to stand up, couldn't. And for months I couldn't walk the dog properly because he could have pulled me over because I had no support in my leg. I had lost all strength. And I go to the doctors, they give me physio. So the, the, they're trying to rehab something. They don't know what's wrong. The physio didn't take. And then, you know, get back in touch. And they they still were not overly invested in wanting to see me again. It was just give the physio a bit longer, which I did. Then I tried to get back in and they were like, well, we've given you your physio. You mustn't have done it right. It's like, no, no, I, I did the physio. I did it above and beyond. You know, I even managed to go for a, a mile walk every day in agony, but I still did it to try and help. And in the end, I had to lie to the doctors to get in because they just were refusing to see me about my knee. Like I'd done something wrong. So I lied and pretended I had an issue with something else. And when I got in front of a doctor, they were like, right, so, you know, what's wrong with your arm, for example? And I was like, what? We're not here to talk about my arm, my knee. We need to talk about my knee. And that doctor was meant to refer me for an MRI scan and with the musculoskeletal team. And I gave it months, went back to the doctors because something my knee got worse. And that doctor said the original referrals were never put through. And it's like, this is my life constantly on hold through health through fear of health, through it waiting for other people to do the right thing about my health when it's out of my hands. You know, so it's not a case of just always going, oh, I wonder if this cold is COVID. I wonder if this headache is a brain tumour. You know, I tripped over today. I wonder if it's the start of MS. You know, it's not that. This is, these are things. I mean, I, I think all those things too, I've got to be honest. You know, but these are things that occupy your mind. They stop you doing anything else. It brings your mood down all through health anxiety. And when you reach out for a doctor's help, the doctors don't help you either. It is a really, really bad situation to be in when you are anxious about your health. You know, and um, I did, I did get an outcome for my knee. Um. I actually, I went for the MRI last week or the week before, and then I got a text message. So for those of you in America, that's how my doctor deals with me. I get a text message 
And it's just from my doctor going, the outcome of your MRI shows us you have a badly torn meniscus. Um, here is a guide. Um, you also already have a musculoskeletal appointment booked. They will be in touch in the near future. Um, you know, sort of best of luck, really. It was sort of, there was no plan made. So I click the guide, I read down this list, and it's like starts in blue, then it goes to green, amber, red, and then red and black, you know, for how severe your tear is and what to do with it. And I'm reading down the list, and only when it got to the red and the red and black, the danger zone, did it start to make any sense about my leg, you know? And in the red and black section, it was saying, if your leg is stiff for more than 30 minutes after you wake up, get yourself to accident and emergency. And I was reading it laughing because it was like, look, this has been a year and my leg has been stiff for a year. Never mind 30 minutes when I get up. I am walking around like a pirate. I'm walking with a stiff leg, hobbling around, you know, having great difficulty doing the most simple things. I have to assess every step I take because of the pain in my knee. And it took a year to get to that outcome, battling with doctors to try and get through that door. And now I've got to wait for this undated appointment with a musculoskeletal team to then have to probably argue back with them that I need an operation and not to do more physio because the physio I did did not work. This pain has not subsided. It only gets worse. Every now and again, it seems to just take the edge off. But then it'll come back with a vengeance and it'll grind, click, pop, snap, rub. Oh, it's horrible. Honestly, it is. You know, and then, you know, I was talking to someone I email with and their partner had uh, damaged their meniscus. And it was it was a sort of like a weak process over in America where it was like, went to the doctors on the Monday, you know, or had the scan on a Monday, determined it was a torn meniscus, had the operation on a Wednesday, the back on the feet with a cane, like on the, on the Friday. And I'm like, how, <laughs> you know, that's exactly how it should be here as well, but it's not. And what, you know, it just shows me how horrible it is to have health anxieties and be in this sort of system because I overthink things anyway. You know, that's what an autistic brain does. It will take something. We have no autopilot. We don't get to coast through the day. We have a plan A to Z. We have a plan for a backup of a plan for a backup of a plan. We can't have unpreparedness. So our minds are constantly on overdrive. So then when we're trying to determine answers of what's wrong, because we're autistic, and if you've got health anxieties as well, it then becomes a hyperfixation and we get so dialed in that we're just absorbing so much information so quickly whilst we're stressed and whilst we're bothered. We never get to turn our minds off. We lie in bed. We're stressing. We're worried. We're concerned. We're confused. We're wanting answers. It's just hard is what I'm trying to get at. You know, being autistic and having health anxiety is, uh, is a real drain, you know, and, um, you know, the state of the NHS concerns me because there is no proactive checks and tests, you know, like I can't have, like I would love 
like an annual phys- physical, annual blood work. You know, if I've got a pet, like I've got this pain in my back, I want the person in the room to go, should we order up an MRI then just to have a look at your back, see if there's anything wrong with it? But yes, please. But you have to fight tooth and nail. It's a battle every time. And I'm autistic. I either have, I'm the nicest guy on earth or I'm setting the world on fire. I don't have a middle middle ground i don't have the bartering tools i don't have the persuasion tools i don't have the way to convince them to put me first and you know the squeaky wheel gets the attention and i don't squeak so it's really difficult you know and i rely on other people to make my phone calls for things like doctor's appointments so it's depending on them and when they're free and when they're not stressed and, you know, trying to just worm my way in and go, you, you couldn't try and get me an appointment, could you? Because I can't do it myself. Because again, in England, or my doctors especially, you know, you phone at 8 a.m. every morning and I don't get through till quarter past nine. And when someone finally answers, they go, there are no more appointments left. Try again tomorrow. And then that process repeats and repeats and repeats and repeats and in the end you give up it's like this is my health you know and i'm anxious and i'm autistic and i can't do half the things other people can who are not autistic when it comes to this so long story short what i'm basically now considering is private health care i've got to find miraculously find this money every month when everything's gone through the roof it's only because i've had a pay uplift and my car allowance has been uplifted and I'll be going on to my proficiency pay that I can I can think about it. But, you know, I've, I've got to consider private health care because I want proactive checks done on my health. And I'm getting older. Being autistic is harder the older I get. The battles I used to be able to fight, I don't have the energy for anymore. So now it is all about trying to find the path of least resistance. That is going to bring me the most peace. That is going to let me sleep at night. You know, and I've been looking at the private healthcare and it's like 24-7 virtual consultations whenever you want them. It's like, like, you're giving me appointments. I can't even get one. You know, I think I've told you before, I went to my GP and I had laryngitis. I had no voice. And I said, I passed a piece of paper to the receptionist saying I need an appointment. And they were like, no, sorry, love. We don't take walk-ins. You've got a phone. How can I phone when I've got no voice? I'm just tired of arguing with people. Even if it's an anxiety, it's real to me. And if we need to work through that, we need to work through that. But, you know, there's some things that are real, like my knee. You know, finally got an answer, but the process continues. And even if I did get private health care, I can't do anything about my knee for the next two years, you know. But I just want answers. I want timely answers. I want to be considered as a human being whose health matters. And unfortunately, the only way to get that in England now is to pay. And that's horrible because that's the route they're pushing you down. You know, I already don't have much free money as it is once I've got paid after paying house bills and things like that. But now I'm, you know, I've got to consider it. I've got to see how I can get there. Even if I get all my answers and take all my results and go back to the NHS, you know. But even with this fibromyalgia, this pain in my side, I need a doctor to listen to me. Because when you're anxious, that's what you need is someone to hear you. Because they are real to me. 
and this pain still comes back. Like I said, I was aching two weeks ago with every muscle in my body. I was asleep for the night and more exhausted than I've ever been the day after. <sighs> Sorry about that. Just gone on a bit of a rant, a bit of a moan, a bit of a sulk, which is very like me, I know. But health anxieties are real. So even if you can't relate to mine, hopefully if you're autistic, you can at least understand with your anxieties how difficult, especially in England, it is to try and converse this to doctors in nine-minute appointments and trying to convince people that you're actually unwell. Even if it's mental, we're unwell. We need to at least have someone to listen to us just for five minutes. And then with the autism, the pain we feel versus the pain other people feel, there needs to be all these considerations. So, yeah, I've got to... Uh, for my own peace of mind, part with another chunk of money I don't have to at least attempt to consider private healthcare, because otherwise I'm going to send myself crazy. And if I do, the NHS won't do nothing about that either, will they? Because it'll take them five years to figure out I've turned into a nut job. But anyway, my friends, thanks for listening. Thanks for letting me moan. Thanks for letting me get that out. And uh, until next time, thanks for watching and keep smiling.